Well, we are wrapping up um, our series here, just a two-week series on money called Money and Happiness. And one of the reasons we're having this conversation is that we as pastors, as we uh, sit and have counseling sessions and conversations with couples and families, one of the number one points of tension in marriages and relationships and families is money and how you handle money and how you disagree and how you handle money and where the money goes. Uh, and we know it is an incredibly important conversation because so much of what we do is, is get, working to get the money and deciding what we do on spending the money on. And, and we want to help uh, all of us this morning perhaps reframe or rethink how we think about finances. But much of what we're going to say today really hinges on what we said last week, which was just this idea that more isn't always better. More stuff, more things, more things that occupy our space, even more money isn't necessarily the aim or goal in our life, that if that is the aim or goal, you will end up in this cycle of looking for happiness where it can never be found. So you'll buy that new whatever, hoping that it will fill this little void in your heart, and it might, for a minute, depending on how much money you spent on it, bring a little bit of happiness because it, it, it's designed that way, but it eventually fades. Eventually you forget about it. Eventually it doesn't have that same sparkle in your eye when you see it and instead you're often left with a bill that can bring with it stress. And so you may have been stressed so you bought the thing to feel better but now you have stress because you bought the thing and you end up with a thing you can't afford and not happy, right? That's kind of the cycle of looking for happiness in things. Well, what we said was there's a solution to that, and it's what uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, is better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. It is better to be at peace, to be content with the lot God has given you, to not be chasing, to not be striving, to be still and grateful. There is great, great joy, happiness, and satisfaction in that. And so I challenge you as part of emptying our two hands to be down to one was to get rid of 100 things. Um, so I, I hope that challenge is going well for you. I have loved getting pictures and photos of all the things people are giving away. My, my favorite comment was, do hangers count as one item individually? And I said, absolutely not. They do not. It counts as a hanger. I don't care if there's 100 or 200. It is one hanger. The other one was, do two, does a pair of shoes count as two items? No, because you would never buy just a right shoe, so it doesn't count. It is one singular item. Anyway, I hope it's going well for you. Um, it's been fun for me. What I didn't anticipate out of this was my wife going into my drawer telling me all the clothes of mine that she hated. Um, now I'm aware that she hated half my wardrobe. So uh, that is gone, and uh, we, are, we are freer for it. But I have a couple of questions for you as we jump into today's conversation, and here's the first one. What was most formative for you as you consider how you think about money? When you think about what you ought to do with your finances, how you ought to spend it, how you ought to earn it, what level you ought to be at, what, what was formative for you in getting to that point? Was it perhaps really greedy parents? Uh, you watched your parents be misers and kind of hold things on and, and, and they held, held, and, and we were always poor. You know, you, know, you ever hear that from your parents? Like, we're poor. Like, okay, then why do we go to Disney? Because we're poor. Like, there's just that like mentality that we're poor, even if you might not be. Maybe your parents were very, very generous, right? There's just this overflow of generosity. And I've also heard that there's this over-generous to everybody else, but not to us. And that can become formative for kids that our parents were willing to give anybody money, but always told us no, right? There's, there's formative things that are happening there. Maybe for you, it's friends. 
You ended up in a friend circle that, um, if you're being honest, was a little bit above your perhaps income levels, so you spend most of your life trying to keep up with them, but it's really not what the lot God has given you in life, at least not currently, so there's just always this tension to try to be there. I would say, by and large, culture has been formative for many of us. The, 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 the world, the advertisements, the way the world thinks about money, it has really, I would say, shaped most of how we think about money based on the conversations I have with individuals about their finances. The things I hear them saying, the things they think they are deserving of really is based on a, a formation of the world's perspective on finances. So here's my next question for you then. Who are you currently taking financial advice from? Because here's what I've also discovered. Broke people take advice from broke people. Broke people don't take advice from people who are winning with their finances. Broke people don't often take advice from people who are, who are generous. They, they often listen to their broke friends, right? Oh, you bought that new TV? Oh, I'm going to buy that new TV. How would you buy it? Oh, there's this payment plan. And I can't afford it now, but $7.99 until I die and I own it, all right? What is that? that that's a mentality of, of broken financial thinking. Maybe you listen to your rich friends. Right? Well, well, that can... That can be good at times. There was an individual in my life who was one of the wealthiest men I ever knew. Um, he was in my life for about 10 years. Can I tell you, if I listened to him, I'd be miserable? Miserable. I, I'd be rich. I wouldn't be here as a pastor. But man, I'd be miserable if I listened to him. Maybe it's YouTube. Maybe you're one of those YouTube guys. I'm going to get rich quick because I'm watching YouTube. Here's my proposition to all of us this morning. If you're here and you're not a believer, that, we're so glad you're here. I want you to listen, and this is for you too. Maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, but if you're totally transparent this morning, your relationship with God and your bank account are two separate things. What I want to propose this morning is that they are very tied together. And in fact, our, our finances ought to be motivated by uh, what the Word of God would say and what um, our relationship with God means to us. There, there's really two economies that you can operate in the financial world. There's the world's economy. Uh, which is just kind of, you know, you know what the world's economy with finances is. And then there's God's economy. They agree on some things and then they diverge very far. And what I want to talk about today is that maybe we need to reconsider how we think and frame our financial world. That, that there might actually be a better way. I want to show you some words that are going to be in the passage we're going to read today that describe God's economy. If we do money God's way, here's what it says. We'll be cheerful blessed, having all that you need. We will abound. What we do will endure forever. We will be enriched in every way, and our life will be full of thanksgiving. Now, I don't know you, but I don't think you'd say no to anything up here. I don't think you'd look at that and go, nah, I'd really not be cheerful. I'd really rather not feel blessed. I'd really rather be in dire straits and not have what I need. I'd really rather just scrape by. I'd really rather not make an impact. No, no, of course not. We want all of these things to be true. So maybe we need to give up the way the world thinks about finances and, and at least take an honest look about God, what God would say about how we handle our finances. Go ahead and open with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul is, is writing back to the church at Corinth, and they have given a, a pretty large financial support to another church that was in need. Uh, Corinth themselves, um, some of them were very affluent, some of them were not, but he, he begins to talk through uh, what might be the key to understanding how to live a life that is marked by the words uh, that you see behind me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's start in verse 6. 
It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He, he's talking about this idea of farming, and he says, whoever plants just a few seeds is going to get a really small harvest, but whoever plants a whole bunch of seeds is going to get a huge uh, harvest. Essentially, you plant an acre of, of crops, and your garden might be an, an acre. You can do it by yourself. You can probably do it with a hoe and a couple of seeds and a, a little bit or a fair amount of elbow grease, right? And who can you feed with an acre? Well, a few people, possibly a, a couple, your family, maybe a few more. But what if you planted 100 acres? If you planted 100 acres, how many people could you feed? How many people could you take care of? This is his point. He said, if you want small reward with your life, think small, invest small, be small-minded with your money. If you want to have big impact, he says, you have to begin to think on a bigger scale. You have to think, okay, if I invest here, here's what I get out of this. Now, this is where the world and God's economy very much agree. You have to have a plan financially. If there is no plan, right, you, you can't just one day, especially today, walk out and say, I'm going to go plant 100 acres. One, it's the wrong time of the year. Two, you'd have to go buy tractor equipment. You'd have to have the financial money to buy all of the tractor and equipment. You'd have to have the money to buy the seeds. What has to happen is you have to prepare to invest. You have to prepare to be generous. You see, this is the world and, and God's economy agree. There has to be a plan with your money because if we're being honest, there are many people that I talk to that you do not control your money. It controls you. You don't tell your money where to go. Your money tells you where to go. Here's what I mean. Your, your paychecks are often delegated to Capital One or something else before you ever touch it. You don't get to control it. It's controlling where it goes. It's deciding how much overtime you work to try to, to make ends meet. It is the one running your life. And what God is saying, no, no, no. You can plan to dictate where your money goes so that you're actually in control of it. You just have to prepare. Here, here's how Mike Todd, a pastor out in Oklahoma, says. He says, preparation releases provision, and procrastination releases poverty. This comes down to that B word we all hate in finance. It's called a budget. You know what the funny thing about a budget is? Is it always sounds better at the beginning of the month. Like, oh, we'll start it next month. Next month is Tuesday, just so you know. All right? Okay, well, we'll start it the following month because we're just not ready yet. Okay, well, then it's Christmas. Then you're going to buy Christmas gifts. Okay, well, we can't not do Christmas. Can't be the Grinch. Well, then January comes around. Well, what happens in January? You get that credit card bill for all the things you just bought at Christmas, so then you're, you're scrambling to meet up with that, and then it's February, and then you completely forgot. What, what is that? It's procrastination to put a plan in place. Here's where they begin to diverge, though. In the world's economy, we put a plan in place to make ourselves big, to make ourselves grow for massive wealth for us, but in God's economy, there's a different goal. There's a different goal entirely, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and this is where the conversation begins to separate. But here's another question I have for you before we get there. Someone's getting your money. Do you know who and is it making an impact? Someone's getting it. I don't know who it is for you. Maybe it's your Amazon account is getting all your money. Maybe it's Starbucks. Maybe it's fast food. I'm not going to keep naming because I don't want to make you feel too uncomfortable in here this morning. All right. You know what it is, or here's the thing, maybe you even don't know who it is, which means somebody else is getting the investment that was meant to return reward in your life, and you're not getting the reward for it. Do you know where it's going? Do you know who's getting it? Is it going where you want it to go? 
Do you even know where it should go? Well, the good news is the Word of God is going to tell us what we ought to be doing with it and how it will bring us great reward in our life. Let's look here in verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's where they begin to divide. Because where the world says, have a plan to make a ton of money for yourself, God says, have a plan to be ridiculously generous. Have a plan to be purposeful that the the work you do, you work hard so that you can be generous. And in verse 7, he said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And this is so important to the heart of generosity because what he's not saying here is give because you ought to, give because it's your duty, give because it's your obligation. He says, no, no, no. Out of the overflow of your heart, with great joy, would you have a spirit of generosity? And this is difficult, especially in church. Because this can feel like a guilt conversation. This can feel like a, hey, you, you ought to. And that's not what God wants. Not from us and not for you. What he wants is that you and I, when we're moved to give, would be cheerful about it. That it would bring us great joy to say, here's what God has given me. Here's a portion. God, here, you do what you with it. God, I'm going to sow this into your hands that you would bring about the increase. And he says, you, you have to decide that on your own. I can't decide that for you. And here's why this is important. If you feel compelled or guilted into giving more than you really wanted to, you're going to have a hard time being happy about it. But if you said, no, this is what I feel in my heart. This is what I feel like God's told me to give. It's a lot easier when it's not holding you, but you're holding it. I think the other thing that is really interesting about this spirit of generosity is that you might give or give out of guilt and I, I think if I read this passage correctly, that's not actually generosity. It might be guilt, it might be obligation, it might be duty, it might be faithfulness, but it's not generosity. Well, because generosity is marked by joy. And I think you can only get to understanding joy and generosity if you understand that when God asks you to give, let's throw this up here, when God asks you to give, he, he, we think he is doing something to us rather than for us. We have to flip this on its head because I think at times when, 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 you, when you're going down the road and you see the person in need and you feel like you ought to do something about it, you think, really, God, you couldn't have sent somebody else? <laughs> Is it me? You want me to sacrifice for this? He's not doing anything to you. What he's actually doing is giving you a gift. When a family member comes to you is in, in crisis and, and you have the opportunity to meet that need, it can feel like God is taking something from us when really what he's trying to do is give us something. He's trying to give us a gift. And you're like, wait a minute, Matt. Because the other day I wanted to buy a Traeger grill. And my wife told me no. Because we had to buy presents for somebody in need. How is that a gift to me? Because I don't see a Traeger grill at my house. Don't buy me a Traeger grill. This is not my illustration. All right, let me just be clear here. Okay. That's not a gift to me. I didn't get what I wanted. And I would say you are absolutely right if you are thinking in the terms of the world's economy. If you are thinking that the the gifts you get in life are really things and stuff, but in God's economy, the gift you get for generosity is way better than anything you would have gotten had you not been generous. I want you to read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Look at the next verse here. And God, this is if we're willing to give with a joyful heart, is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Let me pause right there. Would anybody reject that life? (laughs) Abundance. 
in all things, at all times, I never have to think, stress, worry, or wonder about finances ever again. I will abound in every good work. Does that sound like a life that you'd want? Well, what Jesus is saying, or what God is saying, is, is in his economy, those who are generous begin to live, feel, and experience this life. Now, here's the danger in this passage. There have been people, if you listen to some mainstream speakers, even within uh, churches, that begin to take this verse of describing God's economy, and they try to attach it to the world's economy. And this is where it gets, it gets messed up. It's what's known as a prosperity gospel. That you would give God 10 bucks and he would give you 100 bucks. Right? It's just this idea that you sow a seed, you reap a seed. They literally use this passage to try to do this. Now, here's where they're wrong. That's in the world's economy where money and more money is the most primary blessing in your life. And what I'm saying is a prosperity gospel actually sells you short of the true greatness God has for you. Now, here, here's what I hope. I do hope God blesses you financially when you give. I do hope when I'm generous that God provides for me financially. In fact, I don't have to hope. I know he will. But he's not some weird slot machine where you put a quarter and you pull it and God's forced and I'll give you 100 bucks. See, it sells the whole blessing short. Here's what I do know to be true. He, he promised us a blessed life, not just a blessed wallet. And the prosperity gospel sells us short that your wallet is the most primary thing in your life. And what, what Paul is saying to those who are generous, he says there's things in, in your life that are bigger than that. There are blessings that are far greater that come from a spirit of generosity. And if God chooses not to give you that 10 bucks back, but you, you just gave that 10 bucks, the gift he has for you is actually what's going to cause you to abound. It's going to cause you to be content. It's going to cause you to find great joy in your life. And in fact, it's going to give you an even greater blessing, which is what we're going to see here in verse 9. It says, As it is written... They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So it's those who are generous, those who have freely given, those who live a lifestyle of generosity, not just momentary, but a lifestyle of generosity, what they do, the things they do with their finances, endures forever. It has, what we are going to say this morning, lasting impact. There's three things that I want to highlight for us this morning is that when we give money, what it does is it creates a lasting impact with our life. I, I was a missionary for five years, and, and I uh, had the joy and the humbling process of being the recipient of people's donations for my ministry. Um, the impact that took place because of the generosity that people showed in, in my life was immense. I got to travel all over the world and, and preach the gospel to people free of worrying about uh, creating an income, which means literally from sunup to sundown, I just got to preach the, new, the good news of Jesus to people all across the world. Now, how is that made possible? That was possible because somebody had a plan to work hard to be generous. I wasn't there because somebody accidentally was generous. I was there because people were purposefully generous. Now, what happened was I got to go share the gospel with a whole ton of people. And you know what? A whole bunch of people got saved. And 10 years later, I'm still getting messages from people saying, thank you so much for coming to share the gospel. Thank you for your investment. Now, now listen, I, I get a piece of that. But you know who else gets a piece of that? Everybody who is involved financially in it. They, too, get not only a reward here as I share these stories with them, but they get a reward in heaven as God says, thank you for investing. Here is the abundance that you get to now see. You get to be a part of life change, which is way better 
than whatever you thought you were chasing. As you consider your own life, maybe you've been in a tight spot financially, and someone came up and met a need for you. They paid the electric bill. They, they came through, whatever it was. Have you quickly forgotten that moment? Probably not. You probably remember their name. You probably remember the dollar amount. You probably remember the circumstance. Why? Because generosity creates an impact that is far beyond us. This was probably four or five years ago. I was, I was dealing with a, a good dose of uh, bad comparison in my life and just kind of wrestling through some things. And there was a guy that I worked with. Um, this was before I came here full time. I was part time here, part time at the gym and, and part time somewhere else. And uh, I was looking at his lifestyle going, I just want to keep up. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I wanted to drive what he was driving. I wanted to live where he was living. I was just feeling it in my heart. I talked to my small group about it this week, kind of reflecting on this time of my life. And one day I walked into our office, and I had a binder that had, like, all my workouts in it for my clients. And uh, it was, unfortunately, the exact same binder he used for his personal journal, and I didn't realize it, and so I opened his, what I thought was my workbook, turned out to be his journal, and on the front page was the salary that he was making. One, I don't know why his salary was on the front page of his journal, but it was. And I looked at it, and it made it even worse for me, because in that moment, I realized between the three jobs, I was making more money than he was making. And I was so frustrated for a really long time, because I thought, how could I not keep up? Well, a couple days later, I was just kind of thinking through it, wrestling through it, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, he's not a Christian. He doesn't tithe. So I went to my Dave Ramsey budget app, and I looked at how much we were tithing, and I said to my wife, I said, oh, I found the truck payment. It's right there. It's in giving. Uh, I found that other payment. Yeah, it's right there in giving, babe. And she just looked at me so loving, like, yep, and it's going to stay there, too. And uh, it was, I, mar I married well. And in that moment, I felt like the Spirit just kind of nudged me. You can have the truck. You can have the lifestyle, or you can have eternal impact. The choice is yours. In that moment, I just realized I could, or I could be a part of watching what God is doing here at Bridgewater. I get to see Brandy's incarnation on stage and get to rejoice that I get to be a, a part of that. I get to hear reports from my, my brother in Japan who we support as a missionary and what God is doing over there and the incredible things and the doors they're opening for ministry in Tokyo. I got to sat, sit three weeks ago in a staff meeting while the missionary from India was reporting on the church planting that they're doing. And I'm sitting there watching his presentation and, and they're literally outrunning the government. They are planting churches so fast the government can't even keep up closing them down. Right? The government is literally chasing them to close churches. They are growing so fast the government can't keep up with them. God is providing like crazy. And I sat there going, I get to be a part of that. When you, when you give to Bridgewater, you get to be a part of that. When you hear Jake talking about Ethiopia, when you hear Alan and Kathy Niles talking about the Hospital of Hope, and all of a sudden, I wanted a truck. Now listen, if you have a truck, I'm not not knocking on that, just hear me out. Given the lifestyle I was in and the, the income level I was in, I had to make a choice. And you have to make a choice because that bar is always moving up. Who's getting your finances and is it making the impact you want it to make? Because here was what I know to be true about greed and generosity. Greed has never changed anybody's life for the better, but generosity almost always has. Greed has never made you happier. It has never made you more friends. It has never made you uh, a more joyful person. But every time you're generous, you know, I don't have to tell you. It feels good. It feels freeing. It's never made us better. 
or greed has never made us better. And in fact, Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs eleven twenty four: The world of the generous gets larger and larger, right? That, that's what I just described. I, I, I get to now see what's happening in India, what's happening in Japan, what's happening in Tonkana. I get to see, and I feel like I'm part of that world. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Let's jump back here into verse 10, because this is really important as we consider the source. Now, he who supplies seed, let me just park seeds of the soil. Let me park right there. What, what he just described is one of the greatest hurdles for us understanding God's economy, because in the world's economy, you went to work, you worked hard, you got the paycheck, it's your money. That's, that's the world's economy. But in God's economy, God gave you the gifts, God gave you the ability, God supplied you the job, God provided you the income, it's God's money. But he is the one who supplies the seeds of the sower and bread for food. Will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Do you see the alleviation of chasing more that he just gave you? When you understand that God is the one who supplies what you need, what it says is that he's also the one who supplies the increase in your life. Isn't that interesting? He's the one who supplies the more. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And here's where they begin to separate from the world again. He's the one who brings you increase, not so you can build big storehouses, but so that you can be a river of generosity on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies the confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Isn't that fascinating? If we can see God as a supplier of what we need, can't we also begin to see him as a supplier of our increase? And if he is a supplier of what we need, and if he is a supplier of our increase, do we not think he would also supply in our generosity? All of a sudden, I don't look at Visions Federal Credit Union as my bank anymore. They hold and steward temporarily what ultimately belongs to God and is his to do with it. But I wanted you to see what happened in verse 13. It says there is this overflow of expression of thanksgiving to God. Now, now there is just this attitude of joy, which is our, our next point this morning. That giving money away creates more joy. And there is nothing more joyful than watching somebody else be blessed. Right? There is nothing more exciting than watching somebody get really, really excited about you meeting a need for them or even meeting a want. Uh, probably two or three months ago, I was out hunting on Facebook Marketplace to buy a bike rack um, for my car. And I, I had been searching for one. I found one. It was a great deal. And while I was on my way to get it, I was kind of in a waiting pattern for the person to get back to me. And then so I'm looking, and I see this bike, a little Strider bike on there. And I was like, oh, man, I really want to get that for Jocko because the one he has, when he turns this way, the wheel goes that way. And he kept going over the handlebars, which is really discouraging, this whole learning to ride a bike thing because it just wasn't working when things went opposite directions. Anyway. So I went on and I said, hey, can I get it? And I said, yeah, it was 40 bucks. It was a super, super good deal on this bike. And uh, I came home. Uh, we were actually on vacation at the time, but I, I came back to the house with my wife. And she's like, why are you so excited about a bike rack? And I'm like, I'm not. I got this for Jocko. And the look, you've seen that kid smile. It takes up his entire face. Like just absorbed in joy. And he loved it. And I got to tell you, I loved it even more than I think he loved it. Now, what did I spend more money on? I spent more money on the bike rack. Does it, does it give me the same joy? 
not even close. It gave me so much joy to bless him, which is why I'm really excited about Christmas this year. Um, I, I kind of went on a, a season of my life where I didn't enjoy Christmas because I was too old for people to buy me nice presents. Like, it was weird at that point. But I didn't have any kids, so Christmas was just kind of like, whatever. But I'm stoked to watch the look. And you know, when that paper pulls back and they see the cardboard, like, oh, I can't believe you got it for me, right? Well, God has designed our hearts to work that way, that we would find joy in blessing other people, the joy that you could never get by just blessing yourself. And here's where God's economy and the world's economy diverge. Because in, in the world's economy, if you want more joy and more happiness, every commercial says get more, have more, possess more. And in God's economy, it says if you want more joy and more happiness, give more. You want Watch God bless your heart as you bless other people. Jesus himself is quoted as saying this in Acts 20, 35. Remember the, the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's another blessing, it's the third one that comes with a spirit of generosity, and it is this in verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. This is really interesting, and I forgot to highlight this in the first service, but he's talking about the surpassing grace, the gift of a relationship with Jesus that he has given him, but also the grace to be financially in a position to bless others. He said, because you were willing to use the blessing of finances to bless other people, they are going to be praying for you, which is the third thing, that giving money away creates more prayer. And what he says here is that it creates prayer for you on your behalf. When somebody has really blessed you and met a need, do you ever find yourself just going like, God, I pray that you bless them. I really appreciate their generosity. You might even say bless them to them, but like you look at the need they met and you think, man, God, I pray that you would bless them for their generosity. You ever prayed for a greedy person? You ever prayed that God would bless a greedy person? No, probably not. Now, does the Bible tell us we're supposed to? Yes. Do we do it? Probably not. Why? Because when we are connected as a community, and what's interesting is all of these yous that you read, you will have enough, you will abound, you will increase, they're all plural in the original language. They're not singular. So God isn't saying you will have everything you need. He says you will have everything you need as he speaks to the collective body that as we are generous, we will have all that we need as we care for one another. But the other thing that this does to create prayer for us is it creates prayer from you. Have you ever been generous to the point that it hurts? <laughs> You're like, oh, I know God wants to, but ow, okay, God, I'm cheerful, right? Like, you ever been there? When you're in that position, what do you find yourself doing? God, I was faithful to you. You, you, you called me to be generous. Here is my gift. Now I need you to show up and meet a need. Now I need you. And right there, I think this is why I get so upset about the prosperity gospel because it sells you short of what is really the true gift of generosity in God's kingdom. And it's that when you are generous, you find yourself in need of God. You find yourself in need of God showing up that if he doesn't show up and be God, I'm done. Now you don't get there until you're generous to the point that it hurts. Why? Because you got money. You don't need God, you got money. And that's the spirit that he's talking about. The gift we get for generosity might not be a bigger bank account. It might not be a double blessing back in your life. It might be Jesus himself. As you find him in the place of dependence, not because you were foolish with your money, but because you were outrageously generous. Which is how Paul finishes this in verse 15. 
It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is that indescribable gift? The indescribable gift is the life found in Jesus, that we were, were poor and destitute spiritually, that we were indebted that we could never pay, and he paid with his own life to set us free from sin and slavery, that he would set us up into what? A life-giving relationship with Jesus. And there's no greater gift. There is no greater present God could give you than he himself. And so perhaps God has given you a roadmap with your finances to find more of Jesus in your life. He has given you and I a pathway to find ultimate joy and satisfaction in a life-giving relationship with Jesus that we would enjoy <coughs> excuse me, we would enjoy the good things he has given us, but they are not ultimate in our life anymore. Drive the truck. Do the things you can afford, but don't let them be ultimate in your life because Jesus is ultimate and you will never grow weary of the joy you find in him. That is the real gift of generosity. So what do you do with this? Well, let's go back to the beginning. You need a plan. If you don't have a plan to win financially or, or to do this in the way of God's economy, we want to give you one. Financial Peace University is a course we offer here, um, and it is a great resource. On the, I'm looking for the word, communication card, that's the word I was looking for. On the communication card in front of you, there's a place you can mark uh, for interest in the financial peace class. Uh, great class. If you have taken this and you have forgotten the principles, I'm not going to go Dave Ramsey on you, but shame on you, all right? I'm just, you know, if you've listened to his videos, you'll want to hate him, but you know he's right all at the same time. Um, he's got some good stuff in there. We have a class coming out that we love to, to connect you with that, just to get a plan to start taking control of your finances back. And then here's the last one. If you are doing that, here's the challenge that comes out of Scripture for us, and that, that we would begin to give regularly, that this would be a habitual part, right? On every occasion, it would just be a, a part of our life, that we would give proportionally, as he said earlier, that whatever you have decided in your heart to give, that you can do it cheerfully, that it would be a part of your life, and that you, from time to time, will come into situations uh, where you have the opportunity to say, nope, I've already given, I'm good, I don't need to give, but God has put it on your heart, to perhaps be over and above generous. That, that would be a part of giving sacrificially, giving until you need Jesus. And here's where I want to be very, very clear to you this morning. It can get a little muddy having this conversation from church while we're doing a vision campaign. And here's what I want, here's what I want to say to you. Uh, if you don't feel Bridgewater is a place that is making eternal impact and you think your money would be better invested elsewhere, invest it elsewhere. If there's a ministry that God has really put on your heart that you feel like you could go over and above generous to, do it. By all means, give there. Why? Because we want you to cheerfully give. We want you to be free. And if that's not here, that's okay. We're, we're okay with that person. My wife and I love giving here. But if there's another place for you, I, I don't want us to be the hurdle from you finding generosity in your heart. And so uh, give it to where you feel God is doing the most work in it. Don't give it all to Starbucks. It's not happening there, I promise you. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the practical nature of your word. Uh, we thank you for the pathway that it is and thank you for the clarity of it. I know at times um, it is so easy to forget um, the principles in there and to begin just to live by feelings and emotions and needs and desires, but, but God, you have such a better way. Lord, I thank you for the generosity of this church. I thank you for the generosity of your people uh, who have um, gone above and beyond to meet 
uh, needs to allow the ministry to continue here, but have gone above and beyond to, to give. God, I pray that you would bless them, not just in their wallets. I pray that too, but I pray that you would bless them in their life, that they would find such joy as they see you moving, that they would celebrate being a part of life changed. And we love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.